Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Becoming Byzantine. In this session, we're going to continue looking at the faith of the church and especially at the church herself as an icon of the Holy Trinity. Now, just a word of warning, there are, uh, this is a lengthy section of the catechism with many beautiful quotes. And so if you feel that you need to pause the video and read some of the quotes as we go along, that's absolutely fine. But there are so many good quotes, and I thought that it would be good to present this as the catechism has it laid out and to go through it as, uh, as, as swiftly as is possible. Um, really, it's a sort of self-description of who we are as the church. Now, the church is, the, the to, to put it very simply, the place where divine revelation comes to fulfillment. In the fullness of time, God the Father comes to humanity through his incarnate son, conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, so that we, uh, in the Holy Spirit, uh, becoming members of the body of Christ, could return to the Father, could actually return, despite our sin, to the Father. And the place and the environment where that divine adoption takes place is the church. We are the people of God, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where all of this is realized in and through us as God's people. This very beautiful image of the church as not just a place where you go on Sunday uh, to meet with people of like mind. I mean, you do that in any meeting. But the church is an icon of the Holy Trinity. It's a divine communion where we become one, not just with other people of like mind, but with God, with God. And the church which is in communion with other churches. So our church is in communion with other churches. We then recognize that this faith is spread throughout the world. To describe the church as an icon of the Holy Trinity is a reflection of the fact that humanity was created as a communal or a social reality. And even God himself, God is one, but there are three persons in the most Holy Trinity. So suggesting that from the very beginning, when, when we were made in God's image, he sort of understood that the way he was going to relate to us, the way that he was going to create us to be, and the way that he was going to save us was not just as isolated automatons, but as people of, of communion. And so it's, it's God's plan. And even, for example, God makes uh, humanity uh, as male and female. There's, there's a relational aspect to humanity that's inscribed in our very being. And the church, therefore, was going to be intended by God to live in the same way. So from the beginning, the, the fathers of the church uh, always understood that, that the, what would become of the church was somehow there from the very beginning. Even the creation story, Adam and Eve in paradise, where they experienced a life in communion with God, in communion with one another, in communion with all of creation, that is a foreshadowing of, of the church, of how the church is supposed to be. And it's a, a deep and divine bond. Um, and it's also a bond that we, that we have now with God in the church, but that was there between God and humanity from the very beginning. However, through sin, we were the ones who forfeited that. We gave it up. Sin is a, a, a rupture in communion with God, but also because of that, uh, a rupture in communion with one another. 
sin is not just a breaking of a rule. It's not just a private action that affects our relationship with God. It also affects our relationship with our fellow human being. And so when you sin, this is why, as, as, as we'll see, with, when you sin, you don't just sin privately against God. No sin, by definition, is private. It's always public. It has a ripple effect upon the rest of humanity. And as members of the church, sin is tragic, but because no matter how private, it affects our relationship with the church. However, from the very beginning, God is, is bringing his people together, and he's doing this through holy people throughout history. So people like Noah and Abraham who accept and believe and are faithful to God, that's a prefigurement, a foreshadowing of what he's going to do in the church. Holy people throughout history are going to be faithful to God and be examples of, of what humanity is supposed to be towards God and towards one another. <clears throat> so God calls all of these people throughout history um, in the midst of evil and all kinds of fallenness going on throughout the world. He's going to create a people with a covenant, um, a covenant which is a, a sign that a person or people belong to God. And from the very beginning, his chosen people makes that covenant with God. And that's a foreshadowing of what's going to be fulfilled in the church. We're going to be that chosen people of the new covenant, the new covenant in his divine son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is there from the Old Testament. Now, of course, yes, the fulfillment is that uh, the incarnation of the son and the sending of the Holy Spirit are going to uh, complete that action. So everything that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament is going to complete it. And the way that Christ does this is he, you know, he invites his people, as we saw in a, a previous session, he's going to speak to his people in a way that's familiar to them. But look at what images he uses. He compares the church to a flock and he compares himself to the good shepherd. He compares the church to a vineyard and he compares himself to a vine and his disciples as the branches. He compares uh, the church to a building and himself to the cornerstone. So that, that's what he's intending, a sort of an organic image of the church, where uh, he is the central element of the church, and God is the, is the central element of his people. That's what, you know, no ideas or no mere philosophies, but the very being of God himself is the central point of convergence of the church, and, and the church um, gets built around him. Christ announces the kingdom of God, and the church is the dawning of the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God, which will be fully and finally realized in, in heaven. But the church is already experiencing that reality in the here and now. It's the dawning of the kingdom of God. And there are so many images in the Gospels and then in, in throughout the rest of the New Testament, which shows that, that the, the disciples always understood themselves to be living the kingdom of God here and now in the world. Christ builds his church throughout his life, but his death and his resurrection are the ones who culminate it. And even his, the stretching out of his hands upon the cross is an image of himself gathering the nations together. And when he calls his 12 apostles, 
the 12 that, that symbolize, correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel. He is doing these things very specifically in order to give the message that, yes, everything that was done in the old is now being fulfilled now. And then he's going to send them out into the world. No longer will God's people be reduced to just Israel. They have a very special role inaugurating that. But now Christ is saying to his disciples, go throughout the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded uh, I've commanded you, and I will be with you until the end of time. So that's his intention now, to take what he started and to complete it and to fulfill it universally. So the role of the church, the fundamental role of the church, is to unite everyone into one. It is not done, the church does not exist for any other reason than to unite the humanity in the person of Christ, in God, with God as the center, in order then to direct humanity to salvation, to the fulfillment of everything that he was intending. That's what the church is. The church is not a museum. It is not a national or a cultural phenomenon. It's, it's not a, merely a, a vehicle to good schools. All of these things have their place. But the fundamental, uh, the reason for the being of the church is salvation. Unity with God and salvation through that unity. But there's all these you know, as we'll see in, in just a moment, the church is has a oneness to it, yes, but the church also has a manyness to it, if I can use that that word. The unity of the church is a communion. So we have all of these local churches which share the same faith and the, and the same being and the same direction as all the other churches. So, which is why I love to use the phrase family. The church can be described as a family, families of Christ, which are in union with each other because they believe and they do the same thing. And they they are they recognize themselves to be the same thing. And so, as we'll see in just a moment, as an Eastern Catholic, this is important because uh, we celebrate the fact that the the Church of Christ, the the Catholic, the universal church, which he founded. It has a oneness to it. It has a universality to it, but it has a locality to it as well in, in, in that there's a Roman tradition and multiple Eastern traditions. And even within those traditions, there are dioceses, local churches, which are in communion with each other. It really is an example of, of family. Before I go further into that, let's look at what the word church means. The Greek word is ekklesia, which ekkaleo means I, I call out of. So it's an assembly of people who have been called out of the nations in order to be members of the body of Christ. It's an enormous and a great privilege to do that. And the church manifests herself preeminently in the celebrating assembly, the liturgical assembly. When we are at the sacred and divine liturgy, we prefigure the gathering of all the nations uh, around Christ, so around the Eucharist, as we believe. So Christ, uh, and, 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 and when we receive Christ, we are receiving God within us, 
and we are becoming what we receive. We are becoming living, breathing temples of God, of Christ, in and through the Holy Spirit. And we then will fulfill in ourselves what God intends for all of humanity. That's such an enormous and, uh, and, and wondrous reality that so many of us, I think, forget in the hustle and bustle of, of trying to do churchy things. But it really is an enormously beautiful reality that we have been called to who are members of the church. When we receive the body of Christ, you know, we become the body of Christ. Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, you are what you eat? You eat the body of Christ in order to become the body of Christ. And when you become members of the body of Christ, you become everything that he uh, was intended to, to work within us. And when you partake of his body, uh, then you, I mean, you really are fulfilling humanity according to the plan of God. You're being saved. You are becoming saved by doing what Christ has asked us to do in order to become saved. If you want to really, and I know we, we started, the catechism started with the uh, Nicene Constantinopolitan creed, the symbol of faith. But if you really look through that, it's a, it's a summary of what we understand ourselves to be. And the church has four marks. It is one, it is holy, it is Catholic, and it is apostolic. And these four signs uh, become understood the more greatly we live lives of faith. Yes, they'll be revealed in, in full glory in the second coming, but they become more manifest when we understand and live our faith to the full. So let's just look at those four. The church of Christ is one. There's one God, one Father, one faith, one baptism. Christ, from the very beginning, was very clear that he intended to build a church. Not multiple churches, multiple denominations, but one. Because God is ultimately uh, one. There's a, a unity in the entire mystery. So yes, there are multiple persons in the, and we'll, we'll go through and see how that plays out as well. But ultimately, there is a oneness. We are all called to communion with the one God and the one Father. In one faith and through one baptism, we become members of the one body of Christ, a unified people of God. <clears throat> so, however, there is a multiplicity to that, just as there are many members of the family just as there are three persons in the one most holy trinity. And in the Church of Christ, the way that that's manifest is in uh, what's called sui juris. That's a fancy Latin way of saying self-governing churches. That is to say, the one Catholic faith, the one holy Catholic apostolic faith, is lived out in a multiplicity of traditions. And so those are called, if you will, local churches. And each local church is not separate from the others. But what they do is they manifest the unity of the church. And they do that in one very interesting way. They do it in and through the person of the bishop. So from the time of the fathers of the church, they understood that the bishop is like a center. In fact, St. Ignatius of Antioch describes the liturgical assembly with the celebrating presiding bishop as an icon of God the Father and the body of Christ gathered around God the Father. And the bishop is the one who really 
is like a magnet. You know, he draws together all of the individual faithful, each of their gifts and each of the ministries, to, knits them together into a body in order to celebrate what it is. So the body of Christ celebrates the mystery that it is and that it believes in and that it and that is becoming in and through and by its celebration in the person of the bishop iconically. Now, that's, of course, you know, we understand that individual people are sinful and, and imperfect. But of course, the fathers are looking at this mystically. What are what is this gathering trying to teach me about what the church actually is? <clears throat> So the unity of the churches is manifest in, a, as I mentioned before, in a common profession of faith, symbolized in, in that one Nicene Creed, and in the participation in the holy mysteries. When I gather together to celebrate and to receive the most holy body of Christ, I become one body with everyone else. I don't just become one body with my biological family. I become one body with my spiritual family. I live and I breathe and I believe and I carry on the same thing that they are doing. Yes, in my own individual way, with my own charisms and gifts, but I really do that with everyone else. Now, the, where does the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, the Pope of Rome fit into all of this? The Pope of Rome as the first in it, called uh, a successor of the Apostle Peter, is the one who has a specific ministry to guarantee the orthodox teaching and the fidelity of the whole world to that teaching. So again, that oneness is being manifest there iconically in the person of, of the Pope of Rome. The oneness is important. I, I am holy, God says. I am one. I am holy. And you are to become just like me, holy. So we're going from one to holy. The church is holy. Now, of course, this means the church in and of itself, not the sinful attitudes of, of all of us who are imperfect, but the church ultimately is there to reflect the holiness of God, which is why right before communion in, in the Byzantine liturgical tradition, the priest, before giving the Eucharist to the faithful, proclaims the holy things for the holy now, that's, that's almost like a call. You really want to do this? Fine. Be holy so that you can actually become holy in receiving the Holy One. Now, the church is the place, therefore, where we grow in holiness. Because, of course, that's, how, that's what Christ intended in founding his church. And in the church, we live lives in the Holy Spirit. We saw this in the last session about how the Holy Spirit doesn't just save us as individuals doesn't just create a personal relationship, it creates an ecclesial relationship, an ecclesial relationship, because we're doing and living the things, the divine mysteries of salvation uh, of Christ. And he always intended for this to be in the church. So it's where sinners become saints. The church is like a door, a portal, a window into heaven. And when we do church things, when we do ecclesial things, we pass into paradise. Look at this wonderful line towards the end of this section. The greatest miracle that takes place in the Holy Church is the transfiguration of a sinner into a saint. That's really what it is. The church has been described as a hospital for sinners, as a place where, as Christ himself said, not where the healthy people 
uh, it's not a place necessarily for healthy people, but for sick people. He is the divine physician. It's a place of growth. It's a place of transformation. And it's a place of liberation towards fullness. Thirdly, the church is Catholic. The word Catholic means uh, according to the whole or according to the fullness. It's a kind of a little bit like what we looked at as the, you know, in the first uh, notion of oneness. The church is the gathering place. It's the place of assembly where all, all of those people, sinners, are gathering together in order to become saints, in order to partake of the divinizing, deifying, sanctifying activity and work of Christ in the Holy Spirit so that we could become uh, one with the Father. Okay, So the many is being gathered into the one. And we saw, again, so the, the catechism here talks about the bishop, again, as the vicar of, of Christ, as the liturgical presider who draws together everyone into the Eucharistic mystery. He's that icon of that, that drawing together, that Catholicity that God intends. Um, it's, it's something that really becomes manifest when you actually go to a liturgy celebrated by the bishop. Now, through the bishop, Every local church is in communion with, with other churches, as I mentioned before. And that's what makes up a self-governing church. So why become you know, Byzantine Catholic as opposed? Well, you do this when you become Byzantine Catholic or Eastern Catholic or Latin Catholic. You are uniting in, uh, b behind or, or in union with a, a bishop who lives that faith and is in communion with the other bishops presided over by the Pope of Rome who uh, ensures that oneness. He's sort of that, that ma the magnet that the bishop has drawn, that the people drawn together as a magnet around the bishop and all the bishops drawn together as magnets in the oneness of faith. Um, and, and that's presided over, that council of bishops presided over by the Pope of Rome. And of course, that's what Christ said, remember to St. Peter in the Gospel of Luke, strengthen the faith of your brethren. That's what the ministry of the, of, the, of the Pope of Rome ultimately is, to strengthen the faith of his brethren. <clears throat> Another way that this is really manifest is in an ecumenical council. So when all the bishops of the world gather together and assemble and give witness to the faith that they have, and uh, also to defend the faith against various contemporary challenges. So that's something that is, is very particular to us as Catholics and, and as Eastern Catholics. We are Eastern in that we, we take the tradition of the East, but we are in full communion with the, the Latin church presided over by the Pope of Rome, uh, who is, is there ultimately to help to strengthen the brethren in the faith. Now, finally, the apostolic nature. What does it mean to be apostolic? Well, Christ calls the 12 apostles, remember the representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel, and then he sends them, that's the, the, what the word apostle means. He sends them to preach the message of salvation to the entire world. And the descendants of those apostles are the bishops of the church. So the apostolic ministry is continued through the bishops of the church. And, and in union with a bishop, all of us participate in that. And we disperse that message throughout the entire world. And we proclaim, preach, uh, defend and hopefully to the best of our ability please god live that and so this is what we mean when we say that the church of god is apostolic 
So the successors of the apostles are the bishops. They are the ones who hand on the apostolic inheritance. And they call, uh, they call others to assist in that ministry. So it's not just the bishops. It's the entire church together in communion with the bishops. So yes, the presbyters, also known as the priests, who are the, uh, uh, um, the assistants of the bishop. Then there are also the deacons who uh, take care of uh, their share of the apostolic labors, uh, but also other members of the church, especially, and in the Eastern tradition, it's very, very important, the monastic tradition, who the, the monk who iconifies the sanctification of the world by prayer. The monk is a, a sort of an eschatological figure in whom takes place that uh, that 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 final work of, of 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 communion with God, and then they pray for the church in their own activity, but not just monastics and, and clergy, but also the laity, the laity whose job it is to sanctify the temporal world, and to to act as a leaven in the world within the world of what the Holy Spirit wishes to accomplish on us, within us, I should say. Towards, you know, the apostolic nature of the church is also directed towards the nations. The fact that the church is apostolic means that by definition it is sent out. A church cannot be uh, insular, cannot hide within itself, but it is called by its very nature to be sent out to the people, to evangelize the culture, to incarnate within the cultures of the world the good news of Christ, to transfigure cultures by the Holy Spirit. The church doesn't uh, enculturates the gospel, but what that means is it transforms the culture by the gospel. And this is just another way of, of, of manifesting the incarnation of the Son. The Son of God takes on human flesh in a specific place and time, and he proclaims the truths of, 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 of himself, of, of the Lord, in that culture. And in that way, distinctive traditions are formed within the world. So even though the church manifests its, its faith in different ways around the world, it's still uh, witnessing to the one faith, just in, in, in legitimate, culturally different ways. As Byzantine Catholics, as Eastern Catholics, we do this as well. We have our own, um, not just our own liturgical way of praying the faith, but we also have our own spirituality, our own uh, way of, of of praying the faith, our own theology, our own way of expressing the faith, and our own canonical disciplines. Um, but again, we are in union with all the other Catholic churches throughout the world. However, we're not just cultural and ethnic groups. This paragraph says it very well. A very important sign of a self-governing church is her missionary orientation which is made manifest in preaching Christ's gospel to non-Christians of various nations and cultures. For a church to be church, it has to proclaim the gospel of Christ to every creature. It is not just called to proclaim the gospel of Christ to the people in its own household. Yes, it sanctifies those people, but it also proclaims the gospel to everyone else. And, and in doing so, we bring them into communion with all the other churches um, presided in love over by the Pope of Rome. That's what it means to be a self-governing church. That's what this whole series is about, is about bringing people into the gospel in and through our particular tradition. Now, 
the point of this whole thing is to bring you all into the mystery of God's love and to fulfill this in the Eucharist and to help everyone understand whether you're Eastern Catholic and you're just taking part in this series just out of interest or whether you are Latin Catholic and looking to learn about what we are as Eastern Catholics, or whether you are not yet a member of the body of Christ but are looking into this, we are doing this in our way to bring you into the mystery of God's love. To bring you into the mystery of God's love. And yes, we do know that we're doing this um, at the same time that the church is clouded by various sins and various divisions. We're on the way to being perfect. We're perfected by grace, but we're not quite there yet. However, the church of, of God is the, is the, is the group, is the, the reality that gives us hope. Imagine we didn't have the church. Imagine God had said, well, just work it out yourselves individually. How depressed could we be? Some would be a little bit more successful than others. But what are we going to do with those poor people? The church is there as a rock-solid institution divine institution made by Christ to show us that yet God really is in charge at the end of the day. And, and there is hope. There really is hope for us and for the world. We pray that whatever tradition you belong to, whether you're Eastern or Latin Catholic or uh, another, another Christian, or perhaps not even Christian at all, not baptized, that you see this series as a revelation that our communion, our Catholic communion of churches is a meeting in truth and love. And we do this because we have met truth and love in God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, in and through the Holy Spirit. Glory to Jesus Christ, glory forever.